Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have Sean Wittenberg, founder and president of Safe Catch Tuna, our favorite at Primal Blueprint, and we're going to get into the topic of mercury and ocean preservation, and this is a topic near and dear to my heart because I had very high mercury levels, and it is extremely damaging to all parts of the system, and so, uh, Sean, your passion for being in this space for 15 years and jumping in on this kind of problem that we have with fish sourcing, fish quality, um, and it started really with your mom being diagnosed, right? So I'd, I'd love, you know, welcome to the show, and I'd love you to get into where did you start here? Well, first, Al, thanks so much for having me and letting Safe Catch um, uh, on your on your podcast here. Um, what happened was I was at UC Davis and I was studying there, and um, to just really wrap it up quick, my my mom got uh, mercury poisoning or excuse me, elevated mercury levels is the, the correct way to say it, from eating too much albacore tuna. She was on a um, diet, a diet program based on points, and one, she didn't like any of the food in the diet, and one of the diet items that she did like was the albacore tuna. She, she was having it several times per week, um, and all of a sudden she started to get some symptoms, which, which you may relate to, I don't know, but what happened, she started to get... Um, these numbness in her fingers and her extremities. Then she started to, you know, have some short-term memory issues and she would get tired for no reason, but she also couldn't sleep. It was crazy. And so we went from specialist to specialist trying to diagnose it and try to understand what was going on. And uh, finally, um, she had her blood taken and a hair sample taken and they found her um, mercury levels to be multiples of what um, is deemed acceptable. So, we were surprised and shocked. I mean, for me personally, I was grew up on tuna fish. Me too. Uh, my, mom, my mom used to make me those brown paper bag lunches, and I used to take them with me to school. And this is a rotation of, you know, mostly sandwiches. So tuna was one to two days of my week. And so when I heard that this was what happening and that it was the, the genesis was from tuna and we were doing this for my mom, we're like, you know, we, we got passion. We said, you know what, we're going to develop a technology and a machine and we're going to, that can test fish for mercury so people can protect themselves from this potential concern. And then we're going to move on with our lives. Um, and that was, as you said, 15 years ago where we started. And um, it's been a long, um, arduous road of discovery and trial when we realized that once we made this machine, the industry as a whole didn't recognize that there was an issue um, or that this was of concern to consumers, essentially they they said, yeah, everything's good, you know. So when they wanted us to do testing work for them, they wanted us to dilute our standards, turn it into essentially a rubber stamp. And, you know, it wouldn't help consumers. It certainly wouldn't have helped my mom. And so we turned our back on that type of of model and opportunity. And we decided to, you know, pivot and become our own brand. And we saw that, that you know, we our hypothesis and our vision for our brand is that if you made something that was tested pure that aligned with social and environmental um, standards that encapsulated the values that we all share that 
consumers would choose safe catch and choose this product and hopefully move an industry um, and and uh, towards towards a a um, tested healthier model and we did that pivot we started in about 2013 we made that pivot and in the summer of 2015 we we introduced safe catch to the world <laughs> let's talk about tuna and why the mercury issue why it's so highly there where it came from how do you get rid of it how do you avoid it can you get into that part of you know sourcing fish absolutely that's a great great point so mercury's been in our atmosphere and our environment since the formation of the planet it's always been here um there's ultra trace amounts of mercury in almost everything um very very small amounts but it's because of industrial pollution mainly coal-fired power plants uh, as well as reckless consumer behavior and the combination of both has put um incremental amounts of mercury into our environment so what that is, is if you looked at a coal-fired power plant, inside of the coal um, is a variety of, of metals and, and other non-friendly um, elements. And what happens is they burn that coal and the mercury inside that coal is vaporized. And that vapor goes up the fume or smokestack up into the upper stratosphere and collects in our rain clouds. And then what happens is, is in the mercury comes down in the rain and from that pollution directly falling into our rivers, oceans, and streams. And when that uh, mercury makes its way into the environment, what happens is there's a chemical reaction that takes place. And the elemental mercury, um, HG, creates a methyl bond in the water and becomes a new variation called methyl mercury, which is an organic mercury bond. And it's far more dangerous to human tissue than elemental mercury is on its own and what happens is is that element that new methyl mercury it likes to attach to things all sorts of things including plant life and so what happens is this methyl mercury gravitates onto the plankton into the plant life and small fish eat that plant life or plankton planktons and then they accumulate mercury and then bigger fish eat that smaller fish and then bigger fish eat the medium-sized fish. And up the food chain you go, you get higher biomagnification of the mercury concentration. Why higher biomagnification? Is it something, is it like replicates? Is it like virulitic in that way? Like I'm trying to uh, wrap my non-science brain around that. Think of a small fish, like a sardine, a minnow, whatever. They don't live that long. And they're going to, they're, they're going to eat that plant life and then they're going to be eaten by a larger fish. So they don't have the, the, the lifetime or the, diet to get mercury beyond just from the plant life when you have like a tuna eating a, that smaller fish that tuna is going to take in the entire mercury load from that small fish and every other fish it eats and it's going to live longer and it's going to eat more and it's going to grow bigger and through that process it's going to accumulate more and more of that toxin and in a in fish unlike people we have the we have a filtration system in our body lymph node system allows ourselves to funnel out impurities. And what happens is we as a human being can funnel out these toxins. Fish, once they eat this, this heavy metal, it's in their body and it's in their, it's, it's in them till they die. It's in them even when they die in their, in their tissue. So the fish will accumulate and accumulate more mercury based on really it's diet more than it is through 
um, exposure to pollutants in the water itself. It's it's really diet. Well, it's fascinating. It's like the, these poor fish are uh, unbeknownst to them uh, swimming around eating a bunch of mercury bombs. Yeah, exactly. If you look at through through all of our environment, even beyond seafood, though, you'll realize that it's that that the relationship between our environment, our food supply, and our overall health are all interrelated. And so when we start to abuse one of those three, the whole thing gets abused. And so, you know, one of our focus right now, when you look at our company, is to to protect consumers by testing and giving them a limit and data for them to make smart, educated choices. But we also are working to help protect purity in our rivers, lakes, and oceans. We want to be able to use our data as a instrument for change. And we can talk about that a little bit later. But um if you come back to the, the um, mercury in fish and how it accumulates, what you'll see is that in tuna, what we noticed, though, which is really surprising, is that that increase in mercury levels is not is not, you know, um, perfectly lin- linear based on fish size and age and geography across some 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 line or some graph. What we see is, is as fish get bigger and go up the seafood supply chain, what we see is the range in mercury levels going up and up and up. So what that means is that in a particular tuna school, as an example, you can find two identical fish. I mean, same size, school, everything about them essentially identical, but they can vary in mercury concentration by over 20 times. I want to interject. I want to interject on that. And um, I think this, you know, what I'm having a flashback to the movie The Cove, where they're, you know, awful story about people, you know, killing and selling dolphin meat. And they were talking about how high mercury and they're a very large uh, sea creature. Yeah. Yes, they're top of the food chain, right? So if you looked at swordfish, shark, dolphin, whales, those are the largest. They're the they're, they're the top of the food chain, right? And so they're going to have the highest average mercury concentration, and you're going to see the greatest range of mercury levels within that population. Below that level, just below that level of the uh, seafood supply chain, you'll see below that you'll see tuna in that level. So it's not it's not going to be as high in mercury as as a as a uh, swordfish or a shark on average, but um, it is going to have that same high, high, high degree of variation. The other thing that people don't look at inside the sea, inside of the tuna stocks themselves is the difference from species to species to species. Right, right now, our number one species of tuna that we promote is our Safe Catch Elite, and in our Safe Catch Elite, we use um, a skipjack product. And skipjack is a tuna. And it's the most plentiful tuna in the world. About two-thirds of the world's tuna is skipjack tuna. And usually you get exposed to skipjack tuna if you ever eat tuna that's called light. Light tuna is usually vast majority is skipjack tuna inside of light tuna. But that tuna, it reproduces year-round. Um, it lives near the equator, and it has on average uh, more less mercury than the, more, the larger, older, more predatory tuna. So the largest, most predatory tuna would be a bluefin tuna that's also very endangered. Then below that, you'd have um, big eye and albacore, which would be the next highest mercury products on average. Then below that, you'd have yellowfin or ahi. Um, and then below that, you'd have the skipjack. And so one of our goals, when we looked at our skipjack and when we went out to make our standards in our products, what we did is we went out and we looked to the health professionals. And so we went to, you know, pediatricians, OBGYNs, um, uh, um, urolog- um, I mean, um, general practitioners, dietitians, nutritionists, um, 
and we went to these uh, metal toxicology experts and we went to them and we said, you know, what levels do we have to achieve in our product for you not to just check the box? Now, we wanted them to be fundamentally fired up to recommend this product, even to their most vulnerable um, um, patients or, or clients. And so when we set our standards in our Safe Catch Elite and also in our AHI at point one, we didn't do so you know, arbitrarily or just because that was the best standard that we could achieve. We realized that by aligning ourselves with this point one limit, we were able to meet Consumer Reports low mercury criteria which are the standards set for our most vulnerable consumers like a pregnant woman or a small child. And so we set those standards and, and made that uh, a, a level we will not budge off of for, the, for our products. And those products then became the official tunas of the American Pregnancy Association and um, has since really been an exciting way for people who haven't been able to get um, seafood in their diet because of these concerns to come back to the category and start eating again. So is it just that the skipjack tuna inherently in and of itself, based on where it is in the food chain and all that you mentioned, low in mercury, or once it is harvested from you guys, is there another process by which you can eliminate more? So for us right now, we test every single fish, right? So our technology takes a tissue sample about the size of a grain of rice and in seconds can tell you the mercury concentration to the part per billion, a thousand times more sensitive than the FDA um, limit. And by, by testing each fish, about 25% or so, sometimes it's 30, sometimes it's 15, sometimes it's more or less, but it's really in that strike zone of the fish don't meet that 0.1 standard because the variation inside the, the tuna school is so high. So you just chuck them? We just don't buy them. We don't. Ah. So our relationship has said that if the product meets our sustainability standards, so we're partnered with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch, um, if it meets their standards for sustainability, if it meets our conventional quality standards, and we have this 23-point organoleptic or, or sensory test where we try to identify the highest, you know, traditional quality fish, eye clarity, gill quality, firmness, freshness, um, you know, all those types of attributes. If it meets those two standards, then we go off and we'll individually test that fish for mercury. If that fish meets our mercury standard or purity standard, which we call it um, overseas, then we'll buy that fish right there. If it doesn't meet any one of those three, quality, sustainability, or purity, we don't buy the fish. And so... Um, within the tuna, within the tuna stock to meet the standards that we have in safe catch, the only way to achieve those standards is by testing every fish. You cannot do it any other way. Um, in other species of, of seafood, there are, there are ways to, to better understand, um, the average mercury levels in those products and then identify the product that best suits your diet or, or needs. Where exactly are the fish coming from? So for us, almost all of the tuna we source is coming from the Pacific Ocean. The Central Western Pacific is our number one location, but it's also the number one location for everybody in the skipjack and yellowfin world. Okay. It's, it's the largest, most plentiful, healthiest. It has what's called a green biomass. And so in the sustainability world, world there's three criteria that they look at to be sustainable. They look at biomass, meaning how big is the stock. They look at um, 
fish mortality, and that is how many fish are being harvested versus how many are being born. And then the last thing they look at is bycatch, and that is are you catching what you're going after or are you catching untargeted species or, or turtles or seabirds and things like that? So the first two elements, um, the biomass and the fish mortality is what we say green or uh, is very, very healthy for both of those elements. The bycatch area is the part that is challenging in this fishery. And it's why we are so focused and adamant about receiving what's called school caught or fad free fish. So a fad is a fish aggregating device. And what they do is they make these, these fishing companies, what they do is they make these like artificial islands in the ocean. And these artificial islands have these sonars under them to be able to detect, detect what is the biomass underneath these artificial islands, if you will, or these man-made islands. And what happens is, is gen, um, genetically, the fish are driven, um, the small fish are driven to find sanctuary underneath these structures. So the smaller fish go to find refuge under these, these um, fads. And then what happens is those smaller fish attract larger fish. And the next thing you know, an entire ecosystem exists underneath one of these fads. So it's like a subliminal reel you in con job on skipjack <laughs> it, it well what happens is, is the way that these companies are able to catch- it's like a genetic they're like mind effing with this fish and their genetics right it's and this is where the bycatch problem really exists in skipjack and yellowfin and why it's so important to buy school cod or fad free um tuna or poland line tuna one of those two because both of those have limited to no bycatch very very small amounts um, the Poland line product would have the bait fish used to catch the fish and for the fad free, the bycatch is less than 0.1%. Um, so, so, so it's kind of akin to like, I guess, you know, the, the phrase would be, you know, regardless of beliefs, like kind of playing God with the ecosystem doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. Think about it. These, these, these fishermen, instead of going out fishing the way they used to and taking, you know, four weeks to eight weeks fishing on these, these, um, freezer boats and freezing all their catch and finding product. Now what they do is they just turn on their GPS system and go from fad to fad to fad, and they catch the entire ecosystem underneath each one of these fads using these huge nets. And then in that net will be tuna, but there'll also be mahi, and there'll be sea turtles, and there'll be all types of things. And that's the big problem in sustainability with skipjack and yellowfin is avoiding fads. And the problem is, is that these companies are, are becoming so used to going out for two to three weeks instead of four to eight weeks because they just know exactly where to go. One, two, three. They run their nets. They take everything in. They bring in their catch and then they go home. And so it's more profitable for them and it's more efficient for them. But it's not the right thing for our environment. And um, that's very challenging when there's a huge economic incentive for for fishermen to gravitate towards a certain method or tactic and. Um, it's up to us as consumers and um, brands well for, it's up to us as brands to give consumers an opportunity to vote with their wallet and in turn for consumers to vote intelligently to the brands that not only meet their health and wellness value but also their social um, and environmental sta- um, values as well I want to jump back to briefly high mercury uh, issues in humans because uh, I think it's important, you know, for a lot of people like I really unbeknownst to me, probably for many years, 
I had high mercury, a lifetime of tuna and sushi, and I mean, you name it. And probably the highest mercury uh, fish uh, at the time. So it's really important and it can be an easy, uh, non-invasive process to detox slowly from it over a course of five, six months. And it is so worthwhile. And it's another thing I just want to throw out to the people in the audience that if you do have silver fillings in your mouth, it is time to look into getting those replaced because, you know, and, or check high mercury levels because it really messes with mitochondrial function, thyroid, everything, reverse T3 thyroid, so much stuff, inability to convert T4 to T3, uh, fat burning. So, you know, everybody should either do a clean out <laughs> or get tested and then go from there. Um, or both. Yeah, both, obviously. Yeah. And I, I just think it's really, really important to kind of knock that out, especially if you've been a fish eater, uh, you know, like us all our lives where, you know, you just grew up on tuna salad, you know, um, not to mention all that wonderful oil that was whenever crappy mayo that we were making the tuna salad with, uh, props to Mark on that one. Um, so I want to ask you about, uh, you also sell some salmon. I want to, I, I really want you to get into the anchovy business because that's my favorite. <laughs> no. Um, but I see that you also have some combinations with salmon. Um, let's talk a little bit about that sourcing. Yeah. So um, we we have partnered with um, some fishing companies in Alaska. Um, all of our salmon is coming from Alaska. Um, we set the limits in that product um, to something that we could that anyone could eat as much as they want at any time. Um, and uh, particularly focusing the standards on um, people with chemo and recovering from chemo. That was what drove us to those limits. Um, we looked at um, ways to get protein for the people who are really needed and can't be exposed to literally any um, impurity at all. So most of our pink salmon that we test and use has undetectable mercury levels. Um, and so that's what set us up with that supply, the size, the test. And we still test every single salmon one by one as well to a published standards that that's 33 times below the FDA's limit. That's amazing. What, um, you've gotten such an amazing response from your company, from organizations, right? I mean, you know, you're able to say, Hey, if fine for kids and pregnant women, I mean, listen, I don't see any, no other tuna is doing that. Uh, <laughs> you know, because of the, because of the mercury range, I mean, there, we know what's the exact mercury concentration in every single fish we source. There's no averaging. There's no guesswork. We're not trying to say, oh, we see this trend or we see. No, there is there, there is purely science driven by a process with zero room for ambiguity. And so from our point of view, the reason you get a great response from a mother's group or the UFC or. Uh, you know, some school schools or whoever it could be, right? All different types of groups, right? Is that us? We're doing. We're, we love you guys. Yeah, we love you too. You're in my fridge as well. So um, we're a huge fan of Mark as well. Um, and so for us, we see this as an opportunity to be able to get people to shift away from you know either all animal proteins or other types of proteins and integrating seafood as as part or all of their protein um, selection. And before us, you know, there was this, this nervousness. If you go to a paleo diet and you're now, you know, protein forward, 
um, and you're really relying on that to do a lot of your um, as a as your major fuel source. It's difficult for you to be all seafood. Things can happen where you get this accumulation of of impurities and mercury in your body. But with us, by being able to give you the exact average, the worst case situ- situation, um, and and information for you to act on, whether you're a 50 pound kid or a 300 pound man, you you know, you'll be able to understand what you can have and use the data to, to make educated choices for yourself. And I guess one of the things that, that people really love about us is that we empower them to, to, to make the best choice for themselves. Um, and before us, it was just a guesswork, you know, you don't know, you know, there's going to be certain listeners today that aren't going to know whether or not their mercury levels are, or high or low, and when they get tested, some of them are going to be surprised about what their levels are, and and you know how much better they're going to feel, how much better sleep they're going to get, and how much more focus they can achieve when those levels fall down to sub tens, and that's where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely, and it's uh, it's just remarkable what you're doing. We need it um, because because damn, we just love tuna. I love tuna. I love all things tuna, and it's just. It's just a bummer. It was a bummer to have to stay away from stuff for a while while I was detoxing just to be extra, you know, careful and diligent and um, to be able to have it back in my life, you know, and not worry about it. What uh, what's what's happening moving forward in terms of how can we help contribute? What are some organizations or things you're affiliated with that if we're out there and we're like, you know what, I'd like to donate some money to some organization that's helping with this whole damn problem. Right. How can we help in that way? For us as a company, the things that we're doing on the the mercury side is us putting data in the hands of groups like the NRDC, National Resource Defense Council, Environmental Defense Fund. Um, these are groups out there that are working very hard to protect air, water, and food purity. And to do that is to take on industrial polluters, coal fire, and things of that nature. Um, so they're great. That's who we're working with on the data side. Then on the consumer side, we have a couple of groups that you can find on our website at safecash.com that, that are be coming up in the next couple of weeks about um, pulling um, consu- that, that are consumer engaged activities that you can do to help remove plastics and other types of impurities from our oceans. Um, that's a real big second issue for us is realizing what we can do as consumers and you know, little things make a huge difference. Bringing, I mean, I'm, we're in California. I don't know where, you know, your, your listeners are all over the world, but in California, there's been a, a great movement towards um, removing plastic bags and moving towards reusable bags and people bringing bags to the store and people bringing their own water bottles and not buying plastic water bottles. And you're seeing that type of, of mindfulness making its way into the consumer's behavior. And the more your listeners can influence their network of friends, colleagues, parents, whoever, to just be mindful of the way you buy your food and um, carry your food and how you make your food, how you get rid of your food. Um, looking at that element of your life, you can make a really meaningful impact because one consumer all of a sudden switches to reusable bags and you just pulled 50 to 100 plastic bags out of our ocean. And you start to multiply that across your social network and across your friends and community. You can see how a movement could really clean up our waters in a major way. 
Yeah, in Malibu, we have all sorts of great, wonderful groups that combine, you know, comb beaches and clean them up. And um, just wonderful to see everyone doing that. Yeah, that's a huge thing. And and uh, I mean, also, you the, the one of the things that we believe at, at Safe Kitchen, I know the same way, is that, you know, ultimately, consumers vote every day, right? You vote with your wallet, with the products you buy, with what you click on, with what you listen to, you're voting. And um, people don't really realize the power that they have and the choices that they make. We're seeing a health and wellness movement right now that we're a part of, you're a part of. Um, a lot of great companies um, you know, around the world are participating and, and doing their part. It's moving big food. It's, it's really causing a major impact and the way these larger food brands have been bringing out their products, it's forcing them to create the type of transparency um, that consumers are are demanding in order for them to make decisions um, that best suit um, the life they're trying to lead, and which is something hopefully that's healthy and happy and, and positive. And I, I think that that's really amazing when people start to you know accept the fact that they are actors and players in this change. And that as you vote with your wallet and you take in these products that help you feel better, you're actually making a huge impact um, for generations to come. Uh, you were uh, you grew up in California, right? Correct. Yeah. So it was interesting. I, I transferred schools and I went to UC Santa Cruz. So that was my first experience ever landing in California. Mm-hmm. And I had some roommates and we lived in an apartment and one of them had been born and raised in Southern California and was very conscious about environment, earth. She was actually a vegan and she was just really, really aware. And it, I remember uh, brushing my teeth and I had the water running because from Chicago, you just run the water, whatever, like water's a, a galore everywhere. Like it just never, no one ever thinks about it. And so I just had the faucet on while I was brushing my teeth, even though I wasn't using the faucet. And she came by and turned off the faucet and was like, hey, she goes, hey, man. Don't be wasting water. And I was like, oof. And it was kind of harsh. Like, I was like, oh, damn. I mean, she just <laughs> came up and like fucking turned off the water. Like, that's <laughs> like kind of rude or whatever. But in a way, it's funny because I think about her all the time because, you know, when she lived in Cal, I've lived in California 24 years now. Once you've lived here long enough, things like that, you know, people just have to point it out. And then you start to think about it and become more aware. And, you know, given our water shortage and the issue that we've had here, it's, I'm really conscious of it now, but I always think back like, wow, that was a long time ago, but she was already on it. You know, she was, <laughs> she was already participating. So it's uh, hopefully it'll spread out to the rest of the country. I think, um, I think yeah. it has to, I think, I think these types of, these types of changes are, you know, have to, and, and when it comes to environmental standards, California has always been that thought leader. When you look at cars and you look at exhaust standards and air quality standards, gay rights, gay rights. I mean, there's a lot of these things that have been pioneered in California, adopted nationwide. One of the positives of social media and of different channels to echo the types of information you can find on your podcast here is that, you know, those types of movements or those types of, of, uh, changes, you know, while maybe they will have seeds in California, they can fly and they can accelerate throughout the world in a way that that could never happen 10, 15 years ago. Um, Not even close. So it's exciting from our point of view to realize, you know, what is going to be the the, you know, the consumer IQ around food, 
um, and, and health and the understanding of functional foods and how diet can and, and being intelligent about what you put in your body can actually um, can can without question add years to your life and can and can also help protect biodiversity and all types of other things at the same time. What's your favorite? Um, I'm sure you have a few. But what's a couple top favorite ocean experiences that you've had in the world? Um, whew. There's some really good ones. Um, one of my favorites was I was in General Santos City in the Philippines, in the southern tip of Davao. Mm. That's where Manny Pac is from. It's the, oh, the, yeah. the poorest place in the Philippines for sure. Um, and I was down there, and, and the fishing setup there is, is these two people, like usually it's, it's usually a lot of families, like father, son, or uncles and cousins and stuff like that. Two people go on a, a, these little boats, and they catch yellowfin just using a rope with a, or a, a line with a hook by hand, no pole. It's not even no nothing. Not pole and troll. It's just by hand. They reel it up. So I got to go out with them and and spend some time with a little fishing group. And they were bringing in stuff. And then we got to sit with them um, and uh, and eat product with them and be with their families. And it was the connection with the ocean, their experience, how generous they were with such little resources. It was one of the more beautiful experiences I've ever had um, around the ocean, just being out there in this turquoise water on this two-person boat, catching tuna by hand. Uh, it's pretty wild. Um, the other one that I really enjoyed a lot was um, t- uh, the Honolulu auction in Hawaii. We did a lot of testing and certif- certification work in the first years of my career when we were developing this machine. And so we we did testing on the Honolulu auction and we got to hang out with the Hawaiians as they brought in the catch from that day and work with them. And then, we, you know, I'd say we went surfing. They went surfing. I fell a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> I on a board, but they were phenomenal. But I got a chance to go from the from like be, just before sunrise all the way till about one or two p.m. with them. And then they surfed, and that was their life. And I was like, wow, you just live in such harmony with the ocean you know that is respectful sustainable fishing married with a life of playing in the in the ocean that was another one of my more enjoyable experiences um then might be um we were doing uh we don't do this anymore but we were in coquimbo chile which is a fishing village off the coast of chile and we were dealing with some swordfish um fishermen down there and um we got a chance to go out and spend some time with the Chilean sword fishing fleet, which was a pretty cool experience as well. I'd have to say those. I, I kind of want that t-shirt. <laughs> I'll get you one. i got to get you one. But all of those. The Chilean sword fishing fleet. Like, I want to be a part of that club. That's <laughs> yeah, it was cool. A lot of fun. Uh, a lot of fun. And um, there's a lot more to be had. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a relatively a newbie or a babe in the woods, if you will, with, when it comes to, you know, some of these fishing experiences, um, you know, I've been to most of the major fisheries and receiving zones um, around the world, and um, you're just dealing with these different these different fishing communities and and how they depend on the ocean and how they treat the ocean, and then you go to other parts of the world and they don't have that connection. You see how how reckless they are with that, you know, priceless resource. I have a question that I'm not sure that can even be answered, period, or based on, uh, well, I'll just ask it. <laughs> There's problems with this question is what I'm saying. I'll be ready. Um, <clears throat> so 
like cartography. All right, the world's been mapped. We got it. We know where everything is, right? We have it nailed down. No one's discovering new islands, <laughs> right? So I'm wondering, is this, does the same go for fishing expeditions? Like, has all the places and spots been charted out, or is that almost impossible? And this is where the problem with the question is, is because fish move, <laughs> right? But but also, I'm assuming there's trends and ways to map and evaluate. And of course, there's a science to that, like there would be for big wave surfers who are tracking, you know, weather and winds. Uh, so I'm wondering, like, within the fishing world, are there still uncharted territory, eh, you know, without sounding lame on that? There's unexplainable there's unexplainable elements within the seafood supply chain that people can't exp- that, that people don't understand but that just happen so let's just break down your question into two groups we're going to talk about regional fish or fish that are that that um are born live and die in the same waters they, they don't they're they don't migrate and move around the world then you have products like a tuna that's a highly migratory species that will circumnavigate huge bodies of water like the Pacific Ocean. And so these schools of fish will move, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of miles um, when it comes to the tuna species, because that's their nature. They move as a school going from feedstock to feedstock to feedstock, trying to attack feedstocks and find feedstocks. So they're, they're just traveling the world. Those fish and their migration patterns um, are changing dramatically right now because in large part due to warming waters and and also pollution um so that the change in water temperatures impacting and changing the way these tuna are migrating around the world and uh how are they avoiding the warmer water going to the colder it's just it's well it just depends on what time of the part of their cycle right so if you looked at yellowfin and skipjack usually stay closer to the equator so they have less of an impact by the changes in, in water temperature as far as their migration patterns. But when you go to a, a seasonal breeding fish like a albacore or bluefin, those fish don't don't breed year-round. They have a breeding season. So they go from colder waters to warmer waters. They go and change depths as well. And that they have a, a more uh, dramatic impact to the way they move um, because of climate change. Give me a rattle off a, a brief, most important list of fish we should absolutely just say, nope. Oh, hard to do. I, I, it goes against my grain to say it, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. I mean, I don't eat swordfish ever. It's, it, I, I don't eat it. Um, um, I don't eat bluefin ever. I don't eat shark ever. Uh, yeah, well, that's just bad ocean karma. Don't be in sharks, people. If you're, especially if you're a surfer or paddler, <laughs> you know, I feel a little bit weird about that one. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are like the shark finning um, issue that exists from China's appetite for shark fins as as a, I don't know what you call it, an aphrodisiac and some elements of the shark fin that they like in their soup. Uh, it, there's It's been under extraordinary pressure. The shark, you know, has been really... Um, uh, fished recklessly and so that's a product i don't eat um uh, i don't eat really um chilean sea bass mostly because i don't eat it it can be high it can be farmed as well but i can if it says farmed i might have it if it comes from a good farm i don't have that i never eat although it's unrelated to mercury i never eat um really any farm shrimp um that comes particularly from asia uh, the farm shrimp from Asia can be used, and they can find antibiotics and other issues with it. Um, shrimp is has all types of issues um, that I don't eat. 
And um, I usually don't eat farm salmon unless I know what farm it's from. Um, some farm salmon is phenomenal and some farm salmon is not. Um, so that's just some of the things that I go out and do. But these are just me. I, I I'd encourage people to make their own choices for these these types of species. And it really depends on how much fish you eat. For me, I eat fish every day. So because I eat so much fish, the opportunity for bioaccumulation of mercury in my body is much higher than someone who eats fish once every two weeks, right? If someone eats fish rarely, then you don't have to be as focused on what you eat as someone like me who eats fish every day. Um, because Do you eat, eat predominantly tuna? Yeah, I eat almost exclusively. I eat, a can, I eat probably five to six cans of our Safe Catch Elite every week, um, sometimes more. The Safe Catch Elite has an average mercury concentration of 0. 0.036, which is as low or lower than most wild salmons. And so because of that, I can eat the Safe Catch Elite or Safe Catch Ahi as often as I would a wild salmon. And I, based on my body weight, and my portion size, I could, eat, I could eat farm salmon every day. I mean, wild salmon every day. Um, and so now I also are integrating in our pink salmon line. And so I have that. I go out to sushi um, and I do that probably once every two weeks. And when I do that, it's a lot more salmon and yellow or hamachi and very little of the tuna on the menu because I, I eat so much fish. Um, so I'll have a lot of the sand. Yeah. The same as things like that. Um, so there's some of the species. And then, you know, I, I look at from a sustainability, I, I go to the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch and I look at their, um, recommendation list and I'll look at that as well. I eat a lot of sardines. I eat a lot of anchovies as well, like you, and I, I don't want to anything away but safe catch has more stuff coming um yeah yeah i was gonna ask you i was like um i need to get <laughs> i'm uh, obsessed with anchovies but people often unfortunately don't can or jar them right because it's just the salt levels way ridiculous and they just um had, no one's really found a way yet to figure that out in the right way sardines said there's some good stuff out there and i love sardines and they are i mean you know what i traveled with that um when I went to Paleo FX, I, I brought some cans with me because, you know, it's just there and it's ready mm -hmm. to go. And and there's a lot of great sardines out there. We're excited about an option that we're going to have coming out um, probably by the end of the year that we think is going to be pretty exciting. Um, from our point of view, what we're doing right now is we're just kind of we're going um, and just trying to build a full portfolio of choices so that people can eat seafood all the time um, without getting bored um, and finding things that they like, everyone's tastes are a bit different. And so we've been working on developing different, um, seasoned tuna products mixed with avocado oil and things like that to maintain its paleo certification, but also creating flavor profiles that are fun for people to enjoy on the go. And so that's was the, that was the genesis of our safe catch elite line, the seasoned products that we have. And the, we have seasoned salmon products that are going to be coming out um, this summer. We've got three new se uh, seasoned salmons coming out. They're great. We're going to send a bunch to everyone at Primal Blueprint and Primal Kitchen for you guys to try, as always. Um, but we're excited to share that with you. And so you're just going to see about six to ten new products from us every six months. Excellent. I'm so excited. Well, thank you so much for coming on and so excited that you're in this space doing the work you're doing. And again, I've been personally affected it, uh, affected by the, the improper sourcing and the wrong, just the wrong stuff for many years. And so it's really nice to just be able to include it in my life and not have 
uh, the worry and the issue. So thank you so much for your work and thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for to you and to everyone at Primal for giving us this opportunity to share a little bit about us. I mean, we're obviously fans of each other, huge fans of each other, but to get an opportunity to talk to your community about who we are is, is a real honor and we, and we deeply appreciate it. Have a great one. Thanks again. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table? It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too per- <laughs> so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my god! So she likes like the mayo on. Oh yeah, she so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the the ranch. Um, the avocado oil we use all the time, and, and so you know that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> That's my pleasure.